Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Oh, keep it coming, keep it coming, yes. Well done. It's so great to be with all of you. Happy Easter to you. Happy Easter to all of you. Or as we like to say in the church sometimes, happy Resurrection Sunday. And we use language like that because today's the day that we gather, not just us here, but churches all across the globe are gathering today to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who died on a cross for our sins, was buried in a tomb, was raised on the third day. Yes, yes. So today is the day that we celebrate all of that, and I'm so glad that you're here today. My hope for you, my prayer for you this morning, and even leading into this morning, is that you would have a decent time. <laughs> I don't know what that means exactly. Actually, I prayed that you would enjoy today. Is it okay to enjoy church? Someone say yes. You're in the right place, I'm just saying. Yeah, we want to enjoy ourselves here. And, and I pray that you don't feel like um, begrudged towards the person who invited you to come. So when you leave here in about an hour that you're like, you know, that wasn't so bad. Let's go get tacos. That's what I'm hoping will take place. I know we all have plans this afternoon um, for Easter uh, brunch and all that stuff. Well, let me introduce myself. If I didn't get a chance to say hi to you before service started, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church. I have one goal for us this morning. I want to tell one simple story. It's a story in two parts, and my hope in all of that is that this story would encourage you. That the story would give you hope. That you would come in maybe feeling a bit haggard or weary. I don't know your situation, nor do I need to know all of your situations. But I know that God loves all of you. He loves me. And he wants to speak to his people. So I pray that the story I tell will speak encouragement to you. That you would find hope in your day today. And in that regard, I want to pray over you. So I'll do all the work here. If you would just honor me. And the Lord, just bow your heads, bow your hearts, and let me pray for you. Lord, look at your people. Look at them gathered together to worship your son, Jesus. For some to just stick their toe in the water of this thing called church, right? Just testing the waters. But God, I pray that you come by the power of your spirit, that you would love on these people in a way that they would sense and that they would know. Lord, we want to experience, much like Thomas did, that you are alive. Come and be with us today, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if you ever get the opportunity to leave the confines of the city and to make your way out into the woods to go hiking or something, maybe you're going camping, uh, maybe you've taken a vacation and traveled to the mountains, I don't know, but just picture with me in your mind's eye this, this journey in the woods. And you, you do what most people do, they park their car in the parking lot, and then they go in on the trail, and the trail's very large and wide to begin but once you get further and further into the woods, if you're like me, you try to leave everybody else behind because you really want to be by yourself. Introverts unite, anyone? 
Yes, introverts, yes. And so you find yourself out in the woods by yourself, maybe with the other person that you're with, but that's it. You left all the crowds and just past a bend in the, the trail, you, you come across another trail. Now, you can tell that people have walked on this trail before. You look around, but there's no one around. There's no one here. There's no animals. There's no people. There's no nothing. But you can tell just by looking at this trail that this trail has been traveled many times before. People have used it to get from this part of the woods to that part of the woods. I tell you that story to just remind you um, and to put all my cards on the table. I know what I'm about to do (laughs) is to tell you a story that has been told before. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified for our sins, put in a grave, and God raised him on the third day. That's the same story. I preached this message last Easter, and two years before that, and three years before that. And if you're around next year, I'm going to preach the same message. In fact, most churches everywhere will preach Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead every week. I know this is a well-traveled trail for us. But it doesn't mean it's not beneficial doesn't mean that it doesn't still have some utility for us. It doesn't take us from one place where we are to another place that I think God would want us to be. So are we all okay that I'm going to tell the same story that I told every year? All right, anyway, I'm doing it anyways, just so you know. <laughs> let, me, let me just begin um, by explaining to you that the Bible tells us a lot about this story And he does so through people. One of the people that we get to read from today is a man named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a learned individual. He was trained in the scriptures and the ways of God. He had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And then Jesus used him to establish churches all through Asia Minor and up into Europe. And Paul would establish these churches, he'd train leaders, he'd leave them behind, and he'd go start another church, and then train up leaders, and leave them behind, and go start another church. And and he would write letters to these churches um, to encourage them, sometimes to rebuke them, but to help them through their journey. Those letters or correspondence we have in our Bible. Paul wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. And one of his letters to uh, some friends of his in a city called Corinth He wants to remind them of something, and he uses these words. These are his words, not mine, but he says, I want to remind you of the things that are of first priority, or he says, first importance, almost to say this, I know everything on your life is going to be built on something. I know we're all going to, you know, attach our lives to something that's foundational. He's just suggesting that it be this. And this is what he says to the church in Corinth that is of first importance. And I read it to you here out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and you are welcome to follow along on the screen behind me. Starting here in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins. That he died for our sins, sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, hallelujah, right? In accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter. Jesus died for our sins. Humanity, you have to start here. Humanity is under this curse, if you will, this curse of sin, that you and I are all born naturally into sin. We come by it naturally. I like to say this oftentimes here at Renaissance. We don't have to teach people how to sin. We already know how to do it, right? (laughs) Some of you have higher degrees in it more than others. (laughs) I'm not... I'm not pointing anybody out, but some of you have, are experts at it, I'm just saying. But it's just the condition that we're born into. 
And because sin separates from God, God established this system. You can read about it in the Old Testament. It's called the sacrificial system. It, it allows the sinful person who is far removed from God because of his condition to take an innocent animal, a dove, a ram, a lamb, a bull, or something, and to take its life, right, to put the punishment of sin, which is death, which is what the Bible tells us, onto this innocent animal, and then your sins have been atoned for. That's the language that the Bible uses. So the sinful person who's removed from God through the sacrifice of an innocent one is made one with God. Atonement means at one meant. Huh, you get it? There it is. But the problem with that is the sin, the atonement for sin, rather, through the sacrifice of the animal, only lasts so long, and then we sin again. We call that Monday, right? <laughs> Like everything's, everything's all good, check with church, the thing, and then boom, Monday happens. And so Jesus, the Son of God, came at just the right time, the Bible tells us, and he decided to sacrifice himself for us. That rather than use an innocent animal, Jesus, the sinless one, gave up his innocent life for us. And he was nailed to a cross, as horrific as that is, and I need you to see the horror in it. As horrific as it is, he was murdered on a cross for our sins. He was placed in a grave, and God raised him from the dead. I said earlier that death is a result of sin. I want you to just put this together in your mind, logically, that because Jesus was sinless, he didn't deserve death, even though he gave his life over to be you know, a sacrifice. But death and the grave couldn't hold on to him because it had no claim over him because he was sinless. So figuratively, I like to think that the grave just spit Jesus out after three days, that God raised him back from the dead. And these are important words for us to understand, that God has used his son Jesus to sacrifice himself so that we didn't have to bring animals anymore. And this sacrifice is eternal, it's forever. And because of that, we who are sinful people can be united with God and we can then begin to live the life that Jesus talks about that is abundant and full. And hear me when I say this. This is my favorite part. Eternal. That we get to live eternity with God forever. And that is the well-traveled path that we are walking on today. That's the story that Paul says to the church in Corinth that this is of first importance. Everything else hinges upon that but then Paul, I love this part, but he adds that line in verse 5. Go back to Corinthians 15, verse 5. After all of this takes place, Jesus is raised from the dead. It says, and then he appeared to Peter. I want to, I want to travel the second half of our story following this guy named Peter. Peter, you might know, he was a friend of Jesus, a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus. And to read more about him, I want to turn to um, an account or a telling of Jesus' resurrection that's recorded in one of the, the biographies of Jesus. There are four authors or biographers of Jesus in our New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they each wrote a different account of Jesus' birth, his ministry, his life, his death on a cross, and his resurrection. And I want to spend time in Mark's biography here. In Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 7, we hear how he records the resurrection Sunday. It looks like this. Verse 1. When the Sabbath, or the day of rest, was passed, Mary Magdalene 
and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. The him that Mark is talking about is Jesus. The women are going to the tomb with these spices to anoint Jesus' body, his dead body. As weird as this sounds, they put these aromatic spices on the body because in a, in a few days or weeks, it's going to get, if you know what I mean, and they, they put these spices on there so that the smell of the decomposing body won't be so bad. And at some point in the future, they'll come back, they'll collect Jesus' bones and put them in a box somewhere, maybe on grandma's mantle. I have no idea. <laughs> but this is the plan that the women have after the day of rest, is they're going to go to the tomb wrap them up in spices, and prepare to come back in a few weeks. That very early, verse 2, on the first day of the week, on Sunday, yay, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And as they were going, they were saying to one another, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? There's this big stone in front of it, probably to keep animals out. And looking up verse 4, that they saw that the stone, wow, had already been rolled back. It was very large. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> A large stone. <laughs> That's what it was. Okay. Entering the tomb, verse 5, we read this. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed, startled, afraid, terrified. Matthew, one of the other biographers, tells us in his resurrection story that this young man was, in fact, an angel. An angel, a messenger sent by God to speak to the women. And he had something he wanted to say, and we can see what he said here in verse 6. And so he says to them, do not be alarmed, terrified, frightened, fearful, right? You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. That is true. But he has risen, the angel says. He is not here. And see, you can look at the place where they laid him. And I see this gesture. Hmm? And they look at the thing where they would have laid the body, and it's empty. Verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. You see that? Go tell the disciples and Peter that he, Jesus, is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. The first thing that sort of leaps off the page to me here is that the angel, the messenger of God, he, he wants us to understand that it's not just enough for people to experience the risen Christ um, alone or by themselves, but that message needs to be told to everyone else. So yes, Mary, Salome, Mary, the other Mary, all, all those people that are there, the women that are there, they have seen that Jesus Christ is alive. They see the tomb is empty, but that's not enough. It's not enough for God's plan to save all of humanity, right? They need to go tell people that this has happened. Now, I get a charge over this because this is why Renaissance exists. Like, I love some of you, some of you, right? But I got other things I could be doing on a Sunday morning, like sleeping in, anyone, anyone? Anyone? I'll be the only honest person in the room. That's fine. That's fine. No, we gather every week because we love Jesus. We want to worship him, right? But we want to tell the story that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And we do that all the time here at the church. And that's the first thing that pops up. But the second thing that, that comes out in this story is that the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you to Galilee, just as he said to you. Now, Mark is doing this interesting thing 
as he, as he writes the story, when he says the words just as he said, he wants us to, to turn the pages back in history a little bit and see this moment where Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to raise from the dead and he was going to see them again in Galilee. And if we turn our pages back just to Mark chapter 14, we see these words. Let me set the stage here real quick. Uh, Jesus... Um, just had a meal with his disciples. It's the last meal he'll have with them. We call this the Last Supper, right? And he's preparing them for what's about to take place. In fact, this whole week leading up to this moment, Jesus has been constantly reminding his, his apprentices, his friends, that he was going to be arrested, that he's going to suffer through crucifixion, that he was going to die on a cross, that he was going to be buried, and that he was going to raise from the dead. He's been telling them this. And he's reminding them again on this last evening, hear me when I say this, within 24 hours, Jesus will be dead. And one of the last things he says to his disciples is recorded right here. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says to them, you disciples, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now pause here for a moment. Jesus is taking some Old Testament prophet words, a man named by, a name known by the name of Zechariah, who prophesied this some thousand years or so before Jesus was born. And Jesus is saying, Zechariah was talking about me. I'm the shepherd who was sent by God to lead God's people, the sheep. I've been called to help them, to lead them, to encourage them, to help them grow healthy and all of those things. But I, the shepherd, am going to be taken away or struck away from you. And when that happens, all of you will fall away. Now, he knows what's about to take place. And so he says these words. But look what he says next in verse 28. But, he says, after I am raised up, after I'm raised from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. This is that moment that Mark is pointing back to, that the angel says, go tell them that he said he's going to Galilee. Remember that moment. And so their memories go, come back. We go back and read the story. But look what Peter says in verse 29. Peter responds to Jesus and said, even though they all might fall away, right? They're going to fall away from you, Lord, but I will not, he says. <laughs> you sure about that? Sure about that? <laughs> Jesus rebuked Peter and says, verse 30, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, which is a weird way to say, before the sun comes up, right? You will deny me not once, not twice, but three separate times. And if you know the story, that's what happens. But verse 31, Peter says emphatically, I love that, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, samesies. That's <laughs> what so they basically said. What he said, I'm with that guy. That's what he said. Now, if you know the story of Jesus' arrest, he, they're leaving a garden here. He's going to go pray with a few people. And the Roman soldiers will come with Judas the betrayer. Boo, the betrayer. They will come and they will arrest him. And at this point, exactly what Jesus said would happen happened. The disciples flee. 
Peter finds himself hidden in the shadows, watching the guards take Jesus from place to place, taking him to the house of the high priest and as they gather the council to uh, bring these false allegations of heresy against him and all of that. And, and Peter is watching this outside in the shadows. And at some point in the night, Mark tells us that a, uh, a young girl, uh, a servant girl to the high priest comes out and sees Peter outside warming himself by the fire. And she says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? He says, nope. Nope. And then a crowd start asking. And on the third time when he denied Jesus, he says these words. Not only was I not following him, hear me when he says this. He says, I don't even know him. <sighs> no, I don't know. There ain't a person in Jerusalem who does not know who Jesus is at this point. He's left him. He's abandoned him. And he watched Jesus hang from a cross and die. Peter, when, the, when Jesus' body was thrown into a tomb, as Josh alluded to earlier, the rest of the disciples, they went and hid. Here's what we learn. Fear has a way of making even the strongest, most devoted person to God crumble before him. Peter was convinced, he was so convinced of his devotion to Jesus that he would never fall away. But when, but when life situations come that are outside of your control, it's, it's easy to see what Peter has done. If you'll be honest with yourself, right, for a moment, isn't that our story too? That oftentimes we'll, can, we'll claim to be so devoted to God, to Jesus, his son, and all of those things. But when life gets hard for us, we're the first to bounce some days. And not just that. And I think this, this is ultimately what I think Mark is pushing towards in this moment. As he's reminding us that the people of God, when they face great trials in their lives, they oftentimes forget the promises of God. This is what Mark is saying. Jesus tells his disciples, I'll tell you, he's promising them. I'm going to die, but in three days I'm going to rise and I'll meet you in Galilee. Is what he's saying. The women go to the tomb, right, on that Sunday. The angel tells them, go tell the disciples that Jesus said he's going to Galilee. Why do they need to know that? Why does Peter need to know that? Because he's forgotten it. Gotten it. The Bible is replete with stories and instances where God is good to his people. We say things like this God is good all the time. Yes? The Bible also tells us that God is not like a man that he would lie. God is a truth teller. He always speaks the truth. In fact, we say he cannot say anything but the truth because he is the truth. And yet, you and I, if we are honest, we would admit that when things get difficult, we sometimes forget his promises too. I'll go first. Welcome to my therapy session. <laughs> Send me a bill. Right? Last year was tough. It was hard. And in all of that, I kept wondering, God, you said you were good. You said you were good. In fact, I'll, I'll go one deep. In regards to this church, we have labored intently to build this space in this room for over four years. We wanted more room so we could proclaim the truth in Jesus to more people. We had two services in the pandemic hit and we shut down. This is the first time this room has been filled like this 
in over a year. And in all of that, I'm wondering, God, you said, if you make more room, I'll bring the people. And in the midst of all of the pandemic and the strife and the struggle, I began to question, maybe you too, that God was a promise breaker, that God wasn't going to keep his word. This is what Peter is experiencing. This is what you and I oftentimes experience. The people of God oftentimes forget the promises of God when things are hard. When things are moving beyond your control, when the tsunami of life, whatever it is for you, just overtakes you and you can just barely get your head above water and fear comes in, you begin to wonder if God is real, God is true, God is who he said he was and all of these things. Is anyone tracking with me? And I'll move on. Yeah. This is the story that Mark's pushing towards. But Jesus said, I'm going to go to you, uh, before you to Galilee. I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Now, why Galilee? Let me give you a little understanding there. Here's Jerusalem, if you will, on the map, okay? Right? And above Jerusalem is this area called Samaria. It's a large region of land. And above Samaria is this place called Galilee. It's a region. It's an area. It's not a town. It's like central Illinois, right? It's a big space, a bunch of towns, a bunch of villages, some rivers and lakes and all this stuff. And Jesus says, let's go back to Galilee. I'll meet you there. Uh, Matthew, when he wrote his biography, and he's talking about Jesus' ministry, he says that Galilee is actually a place of darkness. He uses that language. He says the people in Galilee live in darkness, and he even says that they live in the shadow of death. I'm like, ooh, what is that? Right? They live in the shadow of death. That is, Matthew says, until Jesus comes and Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, until the great light that is Jesus shone on them and began to push back the shadow of death, Basically, it means this, that the people then had a, a purpose and a reason. There was hope for an abundant life and an eternal life. Up until that point, all the people could do is what you and I could do, is just basically count the days until our eventual end, we breathe our last, and we die. Go to work, come home for work, go to work, come home for work. Tell me when to stop. Go to work, come home for work. <laughs> go to a t-ball game. First layer of hell, just throwing it out there right there. <laughs> it, is T-ball. <laughs> like, you know the stuff where everyone gets a trophy? Ugh. Okay, we love our kids, but do we? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Sorry. Ugh. Okay, I'm losing myself. All right, so. Work, 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 grow a family, whatever, 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 and the shadow of death just, just looms over us. At some point, we're going to breathe our last and die. Jesus comes into that space, the great light that he is, and begins to push out the doubt, begins to push in hope, hope of a future and of an abundant life and eternal, all of these things. Galilee was the place that Jesus began his ministry. Galilee was the place where Jesus first, I'm going to cry, is the place where he first saw Peter. Peter and his brother Andrew were fishing, throwing nets out. Jesus saunters by in a way that only Jesus can. And he says, hey, bro, why don't you leave your nets and come follow me? I'll make you a fisher of men, whatever that is. It just means this. I'm going to give you a purpose, bro. I'm going to give you a meaning. I'm going to use you for ministry. You'll be one of my apprentices. I'm going to show you how to live in God's kingdom. I'm going to do all of these things. Like there will be people who want your role in my life. Right? People are going to want to be like you. And Peter had that until he forfeited it. 
until he denied Jesus, left him, abandoned him, forsook him. In fear, he crumbled and ran away. But Jesus knew this. And so he promised that after I raised from the dead, I'm going to go to Galilee. I'm going to meet you again. I'm going to see you. And I'm going to do something for you. Oh, my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. This is so, so good. The, uh, to lay into this metaphor one more time, the trails that they traversed back and forth through Galilee for some three, three and a half years were the same trails that Jesus would encounter them on. Those well-traveled trails, Jesus comes back and sees them. Jesus is saying these words, my paraphrase, death and burial are not the end, but they are, in fact, a new beginning. Hear me when I say this. This is what Peter heard, and I need you to hear this. Your doubt and your denial of Jesus are not the end for you, but are, is an opportunity for a new beginning. That Jesus would call you to Galilee with him. Maybe to the place, if you're here and you're a Christian, maybe you already had this experience where God had sort of lit a fire under you years ago, who knows how long, right? But you've gone lukewarm. That God wants to rekindle that fire this morning as, he tell, as I tell this story, the same old story of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. You have doubts. You have denials or denied him. You've done all of those things. You've forgotten the promises of God and yet Jesus hasn't forgotten you because he didn't forget Peter. That he comes back to Peter. He meets them in Galilee. Um, and I'll wind down with this last little story. There's this moment. Now John, John's gospel, he's the narrator here in this part. And John is telling us a story that, that after Jesus encounters the disciples, they have breakfast on the seashore there. They eat fish. Fish for breakfast. Ugh, I'm just throwing it out there. Right? Right? I, there's only one way to ruin breakfast is have fish in it. I'm just throwing it. Say, okay, moving on. So, so Jesus is with um, all the disciples. He pulls Peter aside. And he has um, some words with him. John tells us Jesus asked uh, Peter a question. It's the same question. He asked him three different times. And you know the question. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, you know I do. He asked him again, do you love me? Yes, I do. Lord, do you love me? He has this exchange with him. Many people believe I'm one of them that Jesus is asking Peter this question three different times because Peter denied Jesus three different times. Right? It's almost a moment of contrition, of repentance, a place where Peter could receive the forgiveness of Jesus. So he pulls him aside all by himself. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? And he responds in the affirmative. And then, and then, and then Jesus does this thing to Peter. He says that I'm going to make you a shepherd now. He says something like, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my goats. I don't know. It's this moment. But just hear what I'm saying. Three, three and a half years ago, he called Peter from a fisherman, says, I'll make you a fisher of men. He said, follow me. And he did so. And even though Peter forfeited that, Jesus calls him back in the place where they first met. And he says, I want you to follow me again. And this time, you're going to be a shepherd. You're going to, oh, you're going to do the work that I used to do. Lead God's people. Care for God's people. Help God's people. I'm going to give you a hope. I'm going to give you a future. Your doubt and your denial is not the end for you, but it's the beginning because Christ has been raised from the dead. 
anyone. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, the last memory that Peter has of Jesus is when he denies him that third time, the rooster cock-a-doodle-doos. One of the other gospel writer, writers tell us that Jesus in that moment turned his gaze to Peter when he said, I don't know him. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, that's the last memory that Peter has of Jesus. I wonder how a person lives with that for the rest of their lives. Does he go the way of Judas? If you know the story of Judas, he felt such remorse for turning his back on Jesus, he hanged himself. How much, how much longer will it take Peter to get to that end? Just guessing, I don't know. How could you move forward denying Jesus the way he did? If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, that's the last memory he has. But here's the beauty. Christ has been raised from the dead. And now his memory is not of... of, of sorrow and guilt and shame. It's one of, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll serve your people. I'll shepherd your people. And God used Peter to train up leaders. And when the truth of Jesus began to spread in the modern world, Peter was a part of that. Peter had a purpose and hope and God restored him fully. The same can be true for you and for I. I mentioned earlier that the human condition is one in, uh, we are born in sin. There's nothing we can do about that. There's nothing we can do. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, Paul the apostle tells us that you and I are still in our sins. Right? There's no change for us. And he even says that we should be pitied among all men. <laughs> that we've attached ourselves to some hero that can't actually help us. But Jesus, hear me, he has been raised from the dead. So we don't have to be bound to our sins. We don't have to live a life of doing the same thing ad nauseum, time and time again, promising ourselves that we're going to change but never do. That Jesus Christ has come to sacrifice his life for us that we could be made new, not with a nature that is drawn towards sin and rebellion against God, but one that is reborn and new that has the heartbeat of God beating inside of us and we have a desire to do the things that God wants us to do. And then he empowers us with the spirit so that we can overcome sins and addictions and failings. And Jesus says to you that your denial and your doubt does not stop because of you, because he hasn't given up on you. And he didn't give up on Peter. And if you need help remembering that, just look to the cross. Look to the cross. Look to the cross and see how willing he, he was to save you from yourself. <laughs> ah. Or not. You choose. <laughs> you pick. It's fine. I want to pray for us. I prayed for encouragement. I felt like I yelled at you for 30 minutes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's encouraging or not. <laughs> it's all good. Oh, my life was changed on an Easter 
not many years ago, and I pray for many of you that your life be changed today. God, I just ask humbly, my words are empty and void, powerless to do anything. Only you can change the lives of the people here, God. Spirit, it is only you who can, can convince people of their waywardness and their sinful state. And it is only you who could reveal Jesus Christ as risen. He doesn't stand before us in physical form. We have to have faith to believe it. Doesn't mean it's not real. It just means we have to go about it a different way. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come now and you would give us the faith to believe. For those of us who've been a Christian for some time, may today be the, the day, and I know this is not theologically sound. I don't care. Don't send me the emails, right? I pray that some of you get saved again, <laughs> that you just be accosted by the, the, the story of the cross, that well-traveled path in your life. Oh, hear me. God's not done with you. God, just come and be with your people. Help us to live people of hope and people who hold on to your promises outside of our circumstances, outside of, of what everyone else thinks, how we should be responding in our situation, that we be a people who respond with hope. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 